Greetings, all y'all listeners. As we record this new episode, um, it is New Year's Day, and it's raining here in Shreveport, Louisiana. It's been raining for like a week. I'm sorry if you can hear that. Um, <laughs> thanks again for tuning in or listening or hitting play, however you're doing it. This, this episode uh, couldn't come at a more appropriate time because on New Year's Day here, a lot of folks out there are trying to make plans, trying to steal themselves to sort of start over, to begin a, a new life in a new year whether they're trying to lose weight or find a better job or kick that loser that doesn't appreciate them to the curb and find someone who does. A lot of people are out there thinking about changing their lives and making them better from the ground up. The story that you're about to hear is from our friend, really just an incredible dear friend, John Durbin, who's also been a volunteer sound engineer for all y'all. So if you've heard our podcast or seen the live shows, you've heard his work. And his story is one of how you, you can make it work. If you want to change your life, if you want to rebuild it, if you want to start over, if you want it bad enough, you can do it. Um, I hope you enjoy it very much. And John's uh, story was from our last live storytelling event called Under the Influence, which was a fundraiser for the Council on Alcoholism and Drug Abuse. And we realized today that we never uh, told our listeners how much money we were able to raise and donate to Cato. We were very happy last year to donate $2,000 um, just from that one single event to Cato. And it goes all goes to support the wonderful work that they do here in uh, Northwest Louisiana. So without further ado, this is John Durbin's story, which we're calling From the Ground Up. Oh my goodness. Got it. Yeah, fuck, I'm nervous. <laughs> God damn. So, you know, like, my... I, my sister likes to say that I'm focused, but really I'm just totally obsessive over whatever it is that I'm into. I think the first thing I was really obsessed with was drawing. Um, you know, as a kid, I just kind of got good at it. And then it's all I wanted to do. I just couldn't not do it. Like, I didn't pay attention in class. I didn't care about anything else. I just wanted to draw. And uh, I got pretty good at it. So naturally, you know, I got into cartoons. Like, you know, I wanted to make cartoons. You know, I loved, I kind of liked the weirder stuff. I loved Alice in Wonderland, Dumbo, Liquid Television, um, Roger Rabbit. You know, I wanted to make Roger Rabbit. Me and another friend of mine would even make our own little stop motion films. But we had like this janky camera. It wasn't like a, you know, a nice camera. It was like you had to push the record button on and on, on and off real fast. And you maybe got two or three frames. Also, somewhere along the way, I got real obsessed with skateboarding, and I got kind of good at that. I remember, like, kind of knowing I was a little bit different than everybody else. This is like the, I guess, the late 80s or whatever, you know, back to the future era. Um, I tried out for football in middle school for some fucking reason, and, like, I weigh, like, 90 pounds, you know, in middle school. And so for two days, they put me and all the other little guys up against the biggest guys without pads, and they just let them plow you like crazy. So it's like the last day uh, before they're going to give us pads, and the coach lines us up on the field, and he's like, if anybody would rather be home watching cartoons, go now. And I left. I was like, fuck that. <laughs> so, like, I like to think of my family as kind of like, I, I for whatever reason, they, they kind of remind me of a family that's, dying to hang on to this, like, leave it to beaver kind of mentality. Um, so they just didn't get any of that, you know. They didn't get skateboarding, they didn't get drawing, they didn't get why I wouldn't want to play football. 
It was kind of weird, you know. It's like even though I was really good at this stuff, like really good at skateboarding, really good at drawing, and they would it would amaze them and stuff. My mom's always like, "So what's your plan B?" You know. Um, <laughs> my dad would say something like, "Oh, you want to be a starving artist?" And I'm like, "What's that?" You know. He's like, it "Means you're not going to eat. You're going to be hungry because you don't make no money doing art." Um, and then when my mom met my stepdad, I mean, he was. He was doing his best, but he, he even had, like, a weirder thing, you know, because, like, I sucked at academics in school. I didn't give a shit. Um, and he would say, you got to learn to care about this stuff, you know, because wait till you get to college. It's even harder, and they try to fail you out, and you'll never make any money doing what you want to do. And it's just like, I don't want to go do that at all if that's what it's like. It was like, they just, they just didn't know how to su- support that kind of thing. Um, Nevertheless, my stepdad, he, he, he's younger than my mom, a lot younger than my mom, and he, remember he made me a mixtape, and it had all this cool stuff on it, and he, the, on the tape, it had a song by the Butthole Surfers, and, uh, and it's this really weird song where it opens up this crazy feedback sound, and then, like, all of a sudden, it's like this real trippy, slow guitar, real pitch-down vocals, chicken squawking and, like, bowling alley and stuff like that. And I would just listen to that and space out and be like, this is so weird sounding. And anyways, at the time, I'm, like, taking driver's ed, and that was, like, kind of the, the, that was the first time I'd ever heard anybody say anything positive about drugs was all the kids I was in driver's ed with. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know anything about it. You know, I remember them writing the names of all these drugs on the board, and I was like, so what's the difference between LSD and acid? You know, and the whole class is like laughing at me. Maybe y'all don't know, but they're the same thing. <laughs> Anyways, um, so it kind of sparked my curiosity a little bit, and and the things I'm hearing, I'm kind of connecting the dots about some music stuff. And I'm like, wow, you know, is that what is that what it sounds like when you get high? Like that sounds pretty interesting. Um, so my stepdad took me and my best skateboarding buddy at the time to go see The Doors, the movie that came out. Man, I was just like, I gotta smoke some fucking pot now. (laughs) Like, that looks fun. Like, that's what acid is? Oh, yes, please, let's find some. Um, So, so, I mean, that's that's what I kind of did, you know, and it was like, I I was seeking that out through some friends, and this is kind of weird chain of events happens, like I'm working my first job at Fast Words, which is like a skateboard place, a skateboard shop, and uh, my parents were cool enough to let me build a skateboard ramp in the backyard. I quit this job, I fucking hated it, right? The lady I worked for was really mean. But I knew my parents would be mad, so I didn't tell them for a couple of days, and they call to find out if I'm at work, and my mom finds out I'm not at work, and she's basically like, you lied to us, you know, and like, punishment was to like, take away the skateboarding ramp. They got rid of it. So this kind of just like, you know, it's like me and my parents just don't, are not seeing eye to eye, right? And I find these kids that they were kind of older and they were, anyways, they were all into just like different stuff, like building hot rods and all this stuff. And they were like, well, you can come over and hang out. Sometimes people come over and smoke weed and sometimes they have acid. It's like, cool. So I go over there and uh, take smoke pot, and it doesn't really do a whole lot the first time, um, but the acid did, and uh, <laughs> so I'm like, you don't know really how it sets in, you know, the first time, and I'm sitting at this coffee table, it's got this real fucking gnarly, like, high gloss sheen in it, and I'm staring at it, and I'm trying to read words that are 
floating up to the surface. I'm like, man, you got a cool coffee table here, man. I'm like, and so these other older kids, like these two twin brothers, they just like key in on this, like, oh, it's working, you know. And they could fluently speak backwards to each other. And so they just start speaking backwards and stuff. And like, and my friend Russell, he's like, man, my, my dog's kind of, he's outside barking something weird. You know, it's like some guy's outside barking jingle bells and they're convincing me that it's his dog. That they taught this dog to bark jingle bells. Anyways. <clears throat> So that weekend was great, you know, and it was like, like everything I had learned about in driver's ed and every, you know, validated that like my parents were, didn't, not, not that they were full of shit, but that they didn't know shit, right? They didn't know about that stuff, but they want to educate me about whatever. They didn't know about art, they didn't know about skateboarding. And this stuff for me, like connected me with those cartoons and connected me with that music where it was like, oh, it all started to make sense. Like thinking about like Jimi Hendrix in the 60s. Oh, that's why they were doing all that shit. It's like, it's all this influence by this thing that inspires creativity and makes me feel connected to the planet and to other people and makes me feel like I'm at one with people, you know? And it's like, so needless to say, like me and my parents stopped getting along you know, they tore my skateboard ramp down. We're just, like, fighting all the time. So I moved out of home. I just, like, bumming around, sleeping in friends' closets. I quit high school. Eventually met some friends who were smart enough to... We all got an apartment together. And that's when I met, like, members from my first band. And we thought we were the Doors. You know, like, we weren't getting anywhere with it, but we, that's what we were doing. And it was a lot of fun. We ended up, like, moving to Denton, Texas, and we were, like, doing really good. We had a drummer that was fucking badass like Mitch Mitchell meets Keith Moon everybody said that if you have a good drummer you can throw your guitars at the wall and it sounds fucking good right <laughs> there's a fundamental problem with Brian though I mean we all like taking drugs like like we were just like becoming this one unit I mean being in a band is fucking magical right it's like you have all these relationships the sex is the music you become tele with them, you know, it's just like, it just, it was so comforting, it was all the things I wasn't getting from my family, right? But Brian, the drummer, he didn't want to play drums, he wanted to fucking do puppet shows and play the bass and sing, and he was a bad singer, and anyways, that, that created a lot of tension with us, and uh, it was kind of like, two of us lived together, and the other two guys lived at home with their parents, and we were trying to like, make the band take us somewhere, and they were just like, what the fuck ever, we're, we live at home, we can do whatever we want, and they just do more drugs and forget all that ambition and stuff. And Denton at the time, it was this awesome like scene of space rock is what we called it. But it was really just like reviving shoegaze or psychedelic music, you know. And this festival happened and uh, there's all these bands from all over the world. We were dying to see and we were going to get to play with them, right? The rehearsal the night before the show, just tensions flying between us. And we're all out in the front yard and it's like, We'll do the show tomorrow, but that's our last one. Fuck you guys. I'm like, fuck you guys. I mean, it was, that's what was going on, right? Like, <clears throat> somehow we came together and we played this show the next night. It was the best show we ever played. Like, we played these songs that we've been working on really tight. And then, like, you know, it's the last show. So we just smashed everything after that. It's like, smash all the equipment. Brian, the drummer, got to do his thing where he's, like, singing and dancing with bass. Takes his clothes off. He loved to do that little, like, uh... Silence of the Lambs dance where you tuck it between your legs. And he's doing that on stage and like the people ate it up. Like we were the talk of this whole thing, even though it was like our heroes are playing it, you know. 
<clears throat> anyways, that was the end of the band, you know, and it was like, it was devastating for me, you know, and it was like, the, you know, Brian, the drummer, he is a real influential guy on all of us, but, uh, you know, he got us into a little bit harder drugs, but he was just kind of wild, like kind of missing in action for a while. Anyways, I, this just kind of, I just couldn't connect with other guys like that, and I guess I just resorted to taking more drugs and experimenting with more drugs. Discovered heroin, and like I wasn't um, unfamiliar with cocaine, but I, you know, was like mixing all this stuff together, and like, anyways, it just became real apparent that, you know, I had kind of taken a wrong turn, um, and it just wasn't, it wasn't working out. Like a couple years later, I couldn't hold a job, you know, I'm just like falling to pieces. I feel bad. I see my friend Brian, the drummer, and he's like, man, you know, I went to the methadone clinic. Really hooked me up, man. And so I'm like, cool, I'm, I'll try that, you know, and that was a bad idea, too. Um, methadone is terrible. Even though, like, I had, even then, I had enough ambition to, like, do what you're supposed to do, which is wean off this shit, right? And I did that, and I kind of cleaned up for a while, got back into music. Some of the friends I had left that were kind of weary from before, like, oh, you were dabbling in heroin. I don't know if I want you to come over, that kind of stuff. They were welcoming me back. I was making music. Everything was doing great. I got an awesome job. I was getting paid more than I ever got paid. You know, what a better time than I, like, tried to do some heroin again. Um, so then it was just like, I just, that, you know, it was like you're trying to kind of hide it a little bit. And then, like, I was hanging out with some kids who had already thrown in the towel. I just, like, I just started doing the same thing. Man, uh, uh, you know, I'm stealing from friends at every chance I can get. I'm, and uh, anyways, make a long story short, I, I kind of got banned from Denton, basically. I knew if I showed up there, somebody would see me, and they'd be like, where's my money? And oh, let's get you, you know. And <clears throat> so what do I do? I move back home with my parents. They were kind of like, they didn't really know all that was going on, but I'm sure I looked sick. And they were kind of participating in their own brand of denial. They let me stay with my grandmother. Somewhere along the way, I bought a car for like 180 bucks, like a Toyota Celica or some shit. <laughs> Anyways, I'm at my grandmother's. I'm stealing money out of her wallet all the time. And she'll even catch me a bunch of times and, you know, quit taking my money. She was kind of losing her mind a little bit. Got to the point where, like, she's not keeping money in the house or in her wallet, you know, and, like, I decide... Maybe, you know, I'm like, I don't know, I'm sitting in this room in her house, I see her checkbook, and I'm like, you know, I could take her car to the bank and dress up in her jacket and put on her driving glasses and, like, put on her hat, and I could cash checks, you know, if I drove to the far outside thing, right? And I did that, right? For, like, a couple of weeks, I did that. It was like, no, not, no consequential thinking, you know, and, like, so sure, it, you know, the bank's, like, calling them, like, what the hell is going on? Um... My uncle confronted me, my whole family, and then it's like, then I'm banned from my family, right? I still got this $180 car I'm sort of living out of. I see another friend from the band and uh, hadn't seen in a while, and uh, he's like, man, we went, you know, I went to this treatment center. He's like, they'll brainwash you, but they'll give you, you know, for 30 days, you can get, like, hot meals and you have a place to stay. And I was just like, yeah, I, like, I, my brain needs to be washed. It's fucked up. Um, <laughs> So you have to take an assessment to get into treatment, and you had to wait, like, you know, they don't tell you, oh, you'll be in in a couple weeks. It's just like, we'll let you know. Um, and that could be months. Um, you know, a couple months go by, and I'm just like, staying where I can, stealing money where I can, half-ass going to this job, living out of this car. New Year's Eve happens, 
and I'm just fed up. I'm just like, I'm done with this. I'm going to figure out how to get enough money so I can get enough cocaine so I can fucking kill myself tonight. <laughs> so I go to my grandmother's house, sneak in the house, steal her wallet, um, drive, get some drugs. And I got this guy, this other guy with me in the car that I just picked up that's going to score for me or whatever. And uh, I have a headlight out. It's New Year's Eve, right? I get pulled over. So I got to eat this bag of cocaine, right? I could just swallow the whole bag. <laughs> they find the wallet. I get arrested for theft under $40. And uh, I'm in jail, and I'm telling this kid what's going on that's in jail. And he's like, hey, man, like, he's like, cough that shit up. I was like, man, I ate it like two hours ago. And he's like, no, if you drink water and gag yourself, it'll come out. I'm like, really? And uh, so I did that, and that's exactly what happened. And we snorted all that cocaine, right? Like, and, um, it was weird because I remember thinking, like, this was enough and this was strong enough that if, like, I got to do it the way I'd intended, it would have done what I intended it to do. Nevertheless, I get out. They let me out of jail, whatever, and uh, I had a friend who could somehow get in contact with me that I'd see periodically, and he was like, hey, man, you can go to treatment now. So I did, and I went to treatment, and I was fucking so excited to fucking be there. Um, I was so sick of taking drugs at that point. And... Uh, so, like, there's, <laughs> I almost cried. I never fucking cry. Anyways, <laughs> so, so, you know, I'm not going to go stay with anybody. Nobody wants me around there. Everybody is weary, and they're, and they're just kind of like, we'll, we'll give you 60 bucks, and you can take this bus and go to this place in Abilene, Texas. It's like a recovery house. And stay there. And so that's exactly what I did, you know. And, like, to stay there, you have to go to NA meetings or AA meetings or whatever. And I just totally devoted my life to that for, like, I don't know, like eight years or something. It did wonders for me. It was funny because, like, as much as I liked psychedelics, it was kind of like all the literature, like, read, like it was written to me and what I'd be into. And I was like, why was I trying to get away from this for so long? Turns out, though, you know, the guy who wrote the 12 Traditions of AA did so after he had a psychedelic trip. Anyways, um, so I just, committed, I just committed to that 100%, did everything that they said to do, and uh, I went to some little college, and uh, I thought I was going to learn animation there, and I sort of did, but what I really learned how to do is learn how to animate by researching stuff online. I really wanted to connect with, like, my childhood, so I did that. I went to school, and then I was trying to seek out a job in animation. I kind of had a friend who knew a friend and introduced me to this guy, and I was trying to get a job this place in Dallas, and anyways, I was still in Abilene, so I'm like, I'm going to move to Dallas, you know, I'm going to do this, and at first, like, I mean, right away, I meet this girl that I'm freaking crazy about, right, and, uh, we're like, the first conversation, it was just like, I knew, like, it was so cool, she was talking about her son, and it reminded me of me, and I really wanted to, like, be involved with her and like mend all that shit my parents did wrong, you know? And she was already doing that. And I was like, God damn, if I can be around her, she'll show me how to fucking be normal, you know? I just didn't, even after recovery and all that, I just never, like I never felt like a recovery environment is trying to teach you to fucking be normal, you know? It's telling you how different you are from everybody else. So it was just so refreshing to meet somebody and and all that. And then I meet this other guy, I'm trying to get this job, and he's like, 
calls me one day. I'm like in this rent house for two weeks. I got two dogs. I met this girl that I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to ask to marry me. And he's like, what do you think about Shreveport? <laughs> I'm just like, dude, I am not thinking about Shreveport at all. Anyways, so they start telling me about what they're doing, you know, and, and it was just like, well, you know, and I'm having to tell this girl, you know, like, I think I'm going to take this job. I just couldn't sit there in Dallas and watch from afar them succeed, you know, and not be in there in the ground floor. It's so, I did that. It's fucking, I'm just so happy that I made those decisions and that, like, the people that I know that I work for and I work with and my wife and like it's so awesome to like participate in that and that succeed and to take that risk and you know what and, and to give my parents like, like hold the Oscar right like yeah yeah you can make a career at this shit god damn it you know I should have stuck to skateboarding, though, because there's a lot more money in that. <laughs> but anyways, um, I just thanks to Chris and everybody, and this has been great, and thanks. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just give it a little search. All you need to look for is the words, all y'all. We're one of the first podcasts that shows up for that. Also, we're starting to plan our next live storytelling event, which will happen in March 2015. We're very excited about the theme and more details will come on that soon. To stay up to date with all of the stuff that we're doing with All Y'all, please visit allyallblog.com. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.